Good morning, church. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, very thankful to be able to be here with you. Uh, very thankful for Seth and for all the all, all of our team that makes all this possible. Um, very, very thankful for that and thankful for God's Word. Uh, thankful that we are able to gather this morning and, and hear God's Word uh, read loud and preached and taught on. And uh, hopefully by God's grace, uh, I'll be faithful to His Word. Um, and let's just pray again this morning before I, before I uh, begin the sermon. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've made. Thank you for the past several beautiful days we've had lately. And thank you for the gift of being able to see the beauty of your created world. But most importantly, thank you, Father, for the, for the ability that you have given us to see how beautiful you are and how beautiful your love is for us, and how beautiful your word is. Lord, thank you for healing us all as, as believers of our spiritual blindness that we were all born with. And Lord, just please help us to, uh, to absorb your word this morning. Lord, please help me to be faithful to your word and not to add to or take away from it. Um, and Lord, by your grace, please help us to be able to cover this whole chapter. And we thank you and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was going to title the sermon this morning, um, I guess I'm going to go with, the, go with the title from the scripture itself. It'd be, I was blind, but now I see. Um, and thank you, Seth, for singing Amazing Grace. That is truly one of my favorite hymns. And um, as we'll see here later on in the sermon, um, can't help but think that the writer of that hymn kind of had this passage in mind, at least, when he was writing the hymn, Pastor John Newton. So first off, I know we've been in the Gospel of John for a while now, um, and I know normally I don't just jump from one chapter to another. That's not normally how I, how I do things, but uh, John 9 has been very passionately on my heart for the past few weeks, and I felt like maybe the Lord was wanting us to, to go over this, chap this chapter here. Uh, but I want to give first the mission, the overall thesis statement, the reason why the Gospel of John was written in the first place. And we find that thesis statement, that mission statement, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. It says here, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the whole reason for John being in Scripture it is so that evangelistically people would see the true glory of who Christ is, that they would see him spiritually, truly, for who he is, and that they would believe in him Trust in him and have life in his name. So with that background set here, let's go into John 9. Now I have to admit, John 9 is one of my absolute favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Now, I know all of Scripture is perfect, all of Scripture is authoritative, all of Scripture is absolutely necessary for our life as believers, but every once in a while sometimes you tend to have a little bit of, little bit of favorites, and this is definitely one of my favorites. But we see here in this chapter um, this man who was born blind. He had what is called congenital blindness. 
And this, is, this, this chapter is coming off the heels of chapter 8 where Jesus had already told the Pharisees that before Abraham was, I am. So they were, they were already really furiously mad at Jesus right now. Matter of fact, they tried to kill him right then, but he, he escaped their grasp and uh, was, had exited the temple. And what's interesting is normally when, 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 people, when folks are trying to kill you, you don't normally make pit stops very often. You, you're trying to get out of there and get out of Dodge while the getting out's good. But on the way out of the temple, Jesus saw this man who was born blind, and his disciples with him saw this man, and he had compassion on him. And, and his disciples, though, had a very false and flawed theology. Um, they, they thought that this man's congenital blindness was was a cause of something either he had done or something his parents had done. But Jesus had to correct that false theology. You know, now, yes, we know that we are all born under, under the curse of sin. We know that we were before we were, we were believers. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we know in, in Romans that Romans says that, uh, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is indeed eternal life in, our, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that was in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But there are, there are times in life, in our life, where things happen, and things are allowed to happen by God's sovereign hand, that are not the result of any particular sin. You know, we live in a fallen world, and that's what happened with this man. He was... He was born blind, not because of any particular fault or any particular sin of his or his parents, because if that was the case, Jesus would have clarified that. But he said here, um, uh, here in verse 2, or sorry, verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes in our life, the Lord allows us to go through things, whether it's a, a difficulty in our life, a trial or a tribulation, sometimes a bodily ailment. Sometimes we're just born with certain characteristics and traits that, um, that never really go away. Me personally, I don't know if y'all have ever noticed it, but if I get really nervous and I'm talking to people, I start to stutter. And it's always been like that. I'm, I, I've, I've been... When I was a kid, I was so scared of talking to people that if someone called our home and it was not someone I knew and recognized over the phone, I'd run with that phone and take it to my mom, and I'd not even, I tried not to even say a word. I was that scared of people, of talking to people. And that's just a weakness of mine that I have, but the Lord graciously works through this weak vessel to do His will, and that's what He was doing through this man's life. I think the, the first primary point that I'd like to make in this sermon today is that just like this man, we were all born spiritually blind, under the curse of sin, and unable, completely unable to see the truth of God's Word as beautiful and authoritative as it is. We were completely unable to give ourselves sight, just as this man was completely unable to give himself sight, to bring his sight back on his own. But through the perfect work of Christ done in our place, 
we as believers have true spiritual sight and hope that Romans 5, 5 says does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through Christ, through, through the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful truth that is. And like I just said just a few minutes ago, the, the disciples had this false theology. It was almost like karma. It's very, very, very similar to the secular idea of, of karma. To where, uh, and it was preached by the rabbis and the Pharisees of the time, so it was very common. They, it would be understand, understood why they would believe this way, but it was a false way of thinking. They believed that if you were good, really, really good, God would bless you just hardcore. But if you're really, really bad, God would crush you. Now, yes, we do know there are consequences for sin, of course. And, and the Lord does allow certain consequences to come onto certain people for willful, rebellious sin against Him. But, like I said earlier, there are times to where just because being born in a fallen world and having certain difficulties and uh, trials and tribulations associated with that, that fallen nature, we just have certain aspects about us that are, that are, are born, but that we are born with or that we encounter, that's not our fault. But that doesn't mean that the Lord does not sovereignly have a plan for what we're experiencing. Like Jesus said, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says following that in, in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus knew, and I think from according to one pastor that I heard, heard talk about this chapter, this was just a few months before his crucifixion. Time was getting very, very short. Jesus, his public ministry was approximately three years. So not a long time. But of course, he did amazing miracles during that ministry. And John even, said, even says in the last chapter of, the, of his gospel here that even if you could put all the miracles that he did during his ministry down in every book throughout the world, that would not be enough to hold them. So, so this was something, this was a time on the earth that was completely unlike anything else that ever been. And Jesus was telling his disciples, look, we have a limited amount of time here. I have a limited amount of time. We need to do the work that, that the Father has given us while it's still day. Night is coming. Referring to, referring to his crucifixion. And he is, of course, the light of the world. And, and the light of the world gave this blind man spiritual sight and light, true light in his eyes. Of course, he began with, the, with the physical. He gave him physical sight first. And we see that following in verse, uh, see, verse 6 here. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. So the Lord, in his sovereign wisdom, 
for his great glory, had this man be born blind so that on this particular day, at this particular time, Christ would be walking past him, come to him, and heal him for his, for, for his glory. And that's exactly what Christ did. And I can't help but think and, about when he was taking the mud and spitting in it and making the clay to put over the man's eyes, I can't help but think back to Genesis chapter 2 when God made man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. To me, that echoes the identity of Christ to the reader as the creator, the one who created and who sustains all things throughout the universe by the word of his power. Further showing, further testimony to the, uh, to the identity of who Christ is. Now why, why did Christ choose to do it this way? I don't know. I don't know. If y'all have an answer, please come let me know though. Uh, but I, I don't know, and, and most don't know. I, don't, I, even not, I think even Dr. John MacArthur didn't even know. So, but what we do know is that the Lord's sovereign and that he chooses to touch people and use them as he wills. So that was his sovereign plan. Don't know why, but that was his plan. That's why he chose. And of course, this pool of Siloam, uh, it was a very unique pool. It was used uh, usually in the, in the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and it was... It was a pool of really good, clean water that came from the spring of Gihon, which was outside the city. But I believe, if I remember correctly, I think it was King Hezekiah had a channel, an underground hidden channel built from the spring into the city so that the city would always have a source of good, clean, fresh water, even if the enemy thought they would kind of block out that spring outside there would still be water coming in. How beautiful and how providential it was that this man was healed by the true and living water, who is Christ. And how he got to experience that, how beautiful that is. So this man was healed. And and imagine that for a second. We thankfully can see. I think everybody in this room can see at least decently well. I know I have to wear glasses sometimes at night or if, I'm, or if it's raining or something or I'm trying to see something really far off. But I can basically see. I know we've, I can see and enjoy the past beautiful uh, few days that we've had. Um, and of course I like to see the night, the starry sky at night on a clear night. But imagine this man... He was born blind, so he had never seen a beautiful day. He had never seen a clear, beautiful, starry night. He had never even seen the face of his parents. He'd heard their voice. But he had never seen them before. He'd never seen a road. He walked on them, I'm sure, time and time again. And he'd probably been told about a tree and a dog. But he'd never seen them before. He may have even been, been bitten by a dog once. I don't know. We don't know. But, you know, it's a possibility, I guess. But, but we know one thing. After, in his obedience, he was obedient to what the Lord told him to do. He didn't go, what in the world? This guy is crazy. I'm not taking this mud, 
spit mud and going over there in that pool and washing off? No way. What are you talking about? He could have been like that, but no, he, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And he received his sight. And when he did get his sight, man, was, was he probably excited. And man, did he have a message. Those around him, we see um, going into uh, chapter, or, or sorry, verses 8 through 12, uh, people were asking and, and going, wait a minute, was, is that the guy that was born blind? What, wasn't he, he didn't, didn't he used to beg over here? Um, he looks a lot like that guy. And some, of course, thought that it was him. Some, of course, thought, eh, no, it's not really him. It's the guy that looks like him. But the man who was born blind was very clear. He's like, he told them repeatedly, I am the man. I'm the guy. I was the one that was blind. But the Lord came to me. The man called Jesus came to me. He put the mud on my eyes and he told me to go wash. And I washed. And now I see. I'm the man. I'm so excited that I can see now. He did this for me. And of course, people were confused. So they did what I guess the confused people would do at this particular time in this culture. They trusted the theological science and they went to the experts. They went to the Pharisees, or who they thought were the experts. They weren't actually, but they thought they were. And one pastor who was talking about this passage said that if this chapter had a soundtrack playing in the background, when you hit verse 13, it gets real dark, real ominous, real fast. Almost like the Imperial March from Star Wars. That was his, that was his reference, not mine. But I liked it, though. I was very happy to hear that. So, they, so the man's brought to the Pharisees. And it was a Sabbath day, of course, when Jesus healed this man. Obviously, to the Pharisees, that's a big no-no. Not biblically a no-no, but it was to them a no-no. The Pharisees, you, un- you have to understand, they were a very religious people. They were very passionately religious they, they, were, they, they were legalists, actually. They believed that, that they had adhered to their version of the law of Moses, which was an oral tradition that they um, passed down and collected that was called the tradition of the elders. They took the law of God, they added to it, they added stuff on, and they called it the tradition of the elders. And they were very passionate about following that tradition of the elders, which included you don't do anything on Sunday. You don't even heal people on Sunday, which normally it's not something that happened anyway. But still to them, oh my goodness, it's a Sabbath day. So it would have been Saturday actually for them. Uh, but we don't, we don't do stuff on the Sabbath. You don't heal men on the Sabbath. That is just a violation. That's sin. Sin. They're very passionate about that. So that, and of course, they hated Jesus. So they were trying to think of any possible opportunity to demean him, to, do, to denigrate him, and to try to figure out some kind of evidence to, to use against him to try to get him killed. And so, of course, they were trying that with this man. So, and so, verse 13, they brought the Pharise- to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, 
For he does not keep the Sabbath. And by the way, he was, Jesus never sinned whatsoever. Hebrews chapter 4 says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Because let me tell you, if he, if he had sinned even once, he would not be our Savior. He had to be perfect in every way possible to be our Savior. And he was perfect in every way possible. So the Pharisees saying that he violated the Sabbath, they're lying about the sovereign Lord and creator of the universe. I would not want to be in their place. Wouldn't want to be there. But that's what they did. They hated, they hated Christ. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. We know that that's not true. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? So some of them were starting to even understand from their own concept, their own flawed theology, that this man, there's something about him that has to be true because, I mean, he healed the guy born blind, supposedly. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. He's one who is speaking for the Lord. But they still didn't believe him. Not yet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. So yeah, we'll, we'll testify to that. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Now why would they do that? Why would this man's parents just basically throw him under the bus like that? Not even stand up for their son other than saying, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's our, that's our boy. Yeah, that's, that's him. He was blind. But other than that, we're not going to say anything else, though. Why would they act like that? Well, verse 22 tells why they would act like that. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. He was to be excommunicated. Which, by the way, for, for that culture in that time, had significant, extremely significant repercussions. It was a big deal. It was not a minor thing at all. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Unfortunately, there may be times in our life, as believers, where even those closest to us may turn their back on us. Now, thankfully, I think we have some of the best parents in the world represented in this room, so I don't think that'd be the case here. But there are definitely some families in the world today that if their child or if their other family member had received Christ, especially in Muslim countries, no, they, they, would, they would turn their back on them. And it's heartbreaking to see that but there is good news in that. Where people may leave us and turn their backs on us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He never will. Scripture says he, that, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
and that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, Proverbs 18, 24. Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. And we'll see how, here in just a few minutes, how the Lord demonstrates that to this man. So the Pharisees talked to the man's parents, and they called the man back a second time. They just couldn't get it. They, just, they were just like, man, I, I don't know. This is, just, this is crazy. And we can't give Jesus credit. We can't give him credit. Because if we do, we'll legitimize him. So we got to get this guy to lie about him. So what do they do? Verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, 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 said, said to him, Give glory to God. Basically putting him under oath. Essentially. We know that this man's a sinner. Which we know he was not. The Lord Jesus. He was perfect in every way. He, the formerly blind man, answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I cannot help but think that when Pastor John Newton was pinning the words to Amazing Grace, that he may not have had, or that he may have had, John chapter 9 on his mind when he wrote that hymn. Because I know for sure that Pastor John Newton, just like this man who was formerly blind, saw the truth, the glorious truth of what Christ has done for us and that he has given us spiritual sight. Physical sight is great. But even those with perfect spiritual sight will one day pass away. There's eternity that we have to think about. And of course, Christ, here in just a, couple, in just a few verses, demonstrates that not only did he care for this man's physical sight, even more importantly, he cared about his spiritual sight. So we're about to see that here in just a, in just a few minutes. But this, this statement by this young man, that though I was blind, but now I see, what a beautiful statement that is. They said to him, the Pharisees did, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I like this guy's sarcasm. I really do. I... I Man, he's using sarcasm and theological rhetoric right in the faces of the Pharisees. I, I hope, I can't wait to meet this guy in heaven one day. I'm, 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 I'm really excited about that. Uh, and they reviled him saying, you are, are, are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. No, they actually weren't because if they were really Moses' disciples, they would be obeying the laws the Lord gave them, not adding to it. So they were not really the disciples of Moses. But they thought that they were. We know that God has spoken to Moses, verse 29. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This formerly blind man just took the theology of the Pharisees, corrected it, and threw it right back in their face and used it to illustrate if this guy was really a sinner like y'all were saying he is, he would not have healed me. But he did heal me. And only someone who was from God would, could have done this. And by the way, that, that last statement, that, that if he was not from God, he could do nothing, that was the final straw. The Pharisees, they, were, they may have been enjoying their shouting match for a little bit, but that, they were like, mm, okay, now nah, we're done. Done here. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. By the way, all of us are born under sin. Not just this man. The Pharisees were not perfect. They were also born under sin. They may have thought they were amazing. They may have thought they were righteous. They may have thought that, that if we adhere to their understanding of the law perfectly, they would have righteousness and they would be the disciples of Moses. But, but, but in truth, they were disciples of Satan because they were taking God's word, twisting it, adding to it, and perverting it. And they were hating the Lord and Sa- their, who should have been their, their Lord and Savior. And he was right in front of them. And they hated him for it. And so they cast the man out. He was excommunicated. That's the price. That's the penalty. Sometimes also, like I was saying earlier, not only will sometimes family or close friends betray us or, not, or abandon us, but the world will also get upset when we start preaching the truth of God's Word and preaching it unashamedly. They're going to get mad about that. And sometimes, there's, sometimes there are consequences from it. So just be prepared, folks. But... Here's the good news. The Lord's sovereign over us, and He's with us no matter what the consequences are. And He provides for and He takes care of His people. He is that perfect good shepherd that He talks about Himself being in the very next chapter. And He will never leave us nor forsake us. As a matter of fact, we're about to see that. Verse 35. So this man being cast out, he'd been excommunicated. <clears throat> Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The Lord and the Lord and ruler and creator of the entire universe sought this man out. After he was excommunicated from the synagogue, cast out, betrayed by so many, the Lord sought him out. And that's exactly what he's done for us as believers, as his people. He has sought us out. When we were Helpless to save ourselves, he sought us out. When we were lost, 
He left the 99 to come after the one. When we were abandoned or when we are abandoned by other people, he is right there. And when he was was getting ready to go to the cross, he was encouraging his disciples in John 14, 18, and he tells them, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And that's exactly what he's done. That's exactly what he's done for us. How beautiful that is. So once he found this man, Jesus asked the man if he believed in the Son of Man. He revealed himself as the divine Son of Man, the Son of God, to this formerly blind man. And Jesus received the worship from this healed man as he rightfully deserved. So where this man had just at first gotten his physical sight back, which was a great blessing for sure. Definitely don't want to under, undermine that. But now even greater than that, the Lord of the universe came, found him, revealed himself to him, and this man worshipped and embraced Christ, not only as his healer, but his savior. He was at first just his healer, but now he's his healer and his savior and his Lord. How beautiful that is. That's the way it should be for us, church. When we are given the gift of faith by Christ, we are finally able to see Christ as he truly is. The sovereign God of the universe and the good shepherd who was willing to suffer and die for his lost sheep. Final passage here, final set of verses here. We're almost through. Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and asked him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The man who was born blind, he was blind and he knew it. He knew his condition. He understood his condition very, very well. He knew that his only livelihood was begging for alms, begging for people to help him. He was helpless and he knew it. He was not self-deceived. The Pharisees, though, they were pre-self-deceived. They thought they were perfect. They thought they were, that they were just the bee's knees of the society back then. They thought they were self-righteous. They thought they were, uh, that they had the authority to look down on others just because they weren't like them, supposedly. That they weren't as righteous as they were. So what Jesus is saying here in this final set of verses here in this final passage is that he came in judgment so that in sovereign judgment so that those who who were blind who who realized that they needed Christ when he gave them that spiritual gift of faith they would turn to him they would see but the ones who thought they had it all together the ones who thought that that they were righteous on their own they would actually be the blind ones because they, couldn't, they were not seeing the truth of God's word. They were not seeing the truth of the law 
They were twisting the law. And there are people like that in this world, church, who they're self-righteous and they'll try to do whatever they can possible to make themselves appear to be righteous when in all actuality they aren't. But they, what they actually need is the Savior, like we all do. We all need Christ. There's, there's salvation in no other name. No other name is given under heaven among men by which, by which we must be saved except for that of Jesus Christ. So finally, in review, I know there was a, I know there was a lot of material. I know that that chapter was long. That's not normally what I, how I preach, but this was such a beautiful chapter. And to really get all of it, you had to get the whole context of it. But let me just review for real quick just the, the main points. The first one was that just like the man born blind, we were all born spiritually blind, and we were helpless, and we needed the touch of our Savior and our healer, Jesus Christ. We need that. Second point, I may not have actually said this quite uh, during the sermon, but uh, just like this man had a serious change in his heart and in his life after he did get his physical sight back, when we get our spiritual sight back, there should be a pre-major change. Like he was excited, he was ecstatic, he was exuberant. He was like, look man, I was that guy. I was, that, I was the beggar. I could not save myself, but Jesus came and he got a hold of me and he saved me. And he healed me. There should be change in our life after, after there's been salvation given to us by Christ. And not only change, but a message. This man had a message to share with those around him. And we have the gospel. That's the message. That's what we share with others, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't worry about trying to get them saved. Just share the message. It's the Lord who saves us, not us. Just all we have to do is, all we have to do is, be, is be faithful, share the message. I know it can be scary at times, but the Lord will help us to do that. Share the message. Trust Him to bring in the increase. Third point was that in our lives as believers, there may be times when those closest to us, possibly family at times, may reject us due to the message of Christ and His gospel. But where people may leave us, Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's always faithful to his people. And the final point was that just like this man who was cast out, he was found, intentionally found by the Savior. The Savior came after him. And our Savior has come after us. He found us and he has saved us. He's given us true spiritual sight. He's given us salvation, hope, joy, peace that surpasses all understanding. It's all because of him. And he came to us and he'll never leave us. So church, thank you for, uh, for listening this morning. Uh, I know, like I said, this was a lot of material, but I'm thankful for John 9, thankful for every chapter in God's word, for every word in his word. And I'm thankful that I've been able to share this with you this morning. Seth, are you ready? Thank you.